1: Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 117 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is one of the truly great film actresses of our time, Nicole Kidman. The 49-year-old American-born Aussie has been a star for more than 25 years, first establishing herself down under with the film Dead Calm and then coming to the U.S. to make Days of Thunder, on the set of which she met Tom Cruise. Their subsequent marriage made her a household name and face— But her work during it, and even more so after it, has left no doubt that she has earned her own place in the spotlight. She has given remarkable performances in films as varied as the 1995 thriller To Die For, the 1996 period piece The Portrait of a Lady, the 1999 erotic drama Eyes Wide Shut, the 2001 musical Moulin Rouge, the 2001 horror flick The Others, the 2002 biopic The Hours, the 2003 war epic Cold Mountain, the 2003 avant-garde film Dogville, the 2010 contemporary drama Rabbit Hole, and, most recently, the 2016 drama Lion. She received her first Oscar nom for her work in Moulin Rouge, her second, which turned into a win for The Hours, and her third for Rabbit Hole. In January, she's almost certainly going to receive her fourth, and first in the supporting rather than lead actress category, for Lion, in which she plays the adoptive mother of a young Indian boy who becomes obsessed with tracking down his birth family. Her moving performance already has brought her Best Supporting Actress Critics' Choice, Golden Globe, and SAG nominations. Over the course of our conversation, Kidman and I talk about why she owes her career, in a sense, to the Aussie filmmakers George Miller and Byron Kennedy. What it was like falling in love with Cruise and collaborating with him on Days of Thunder, Far and Away, and Eyes Wide Shut, Why, shortly after their divorce, her career ascended to new heights, culminating in her becoming the first Aussie actress ever to win an Oscar, how she crafted some of her greatest performances, like those in The Hours and Dogville, and the reasons why she felt such a deep personal connection to her character in Lion and the real woman it's based on. So, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Colt, thank you very much for doing this. Really appreciate it. So happy. So to begin with, we always just ask, where were you born and raised and what did your folks do for a living?
2: I was born in Hawaii, Honolulu. I spent, I think it was about a year, two years there, maybe three. And then we moved to Washington, D.C. when my dad was doing his Ph.D. at the Institute of Health. And then we moved back to Australia.
1: And why did you, someone who has described herself as being a shy kid with a stutter and just not somebody that you would think would get into performing arts, why did you? What was the beginning of that?
2: I have no idea. (laughs) It was born in me. I really think I was just, it was in me. And I, I mean, in terms of I was raised on literature, I read voraciously and I lived through characters in books that was primarily my life and I would have a, I had an idea that I suppose I just wasn't comfortable in my own skin and the idea of living in somebody else's life in a book. I just, that's what I did.
1: I always wanted stay? to,
2: yeah. yeah, I just didn't have the physical, I, I wasn't physically who I wanted to be, if that makes sense.
1: Just very tall or what was it? was very
2: tall and I just, you know, boys didn't like me, didn't notice me <laughs> and I was awkward and so... The idea of suddenly becoming somebody else, you know, my first really strong sense of being somebody else was being Natasha, Sam, War and Peace and, and having a love affair with Prince Andre. And, I mean, that was the getting lost in that. Madame Bovary, I'd get lost in. I mean, I don't know how I had any... I just would access them psychologically that way. And then that led to going to theatre groups, seeking those out.
1: Starting how young?
2: I would ask to go when I was eight. Really? I would get sent to mime class though. <laughs> so I was doing things like Marcel Marceau right, mime right, class right. at eight and I'm thinking, mm, okay, it's kind of, we'd be making masks, paper mache masks and painting them and wearing them and sort of doing street theatre.
1: It was a creative at the outlet.
2: Low, yeah. And I, but that's primarily it was all driven by me. I had academic parents. I didn't have theatrical parents and so they were just like, who is this kid?
1: So how was it that by the age of 17 you were already pretty well known in Australia, right? What were the things that made that possible?
2: Because I was at a drama school and I was discovered. That's actually Jane Campion came and saw me. This is how everything's so intertwined. When I was really young and she saw me and she was in film school Mm -hmm. and she was casting her film school film and she saw me on stage Little theatre group and and wanted to cast me.
1: Which film was, it was that? called
2: a girl's own story? I ended up not right. doing it mm-hmm. because of my exams. But really, I just didn't want to kiss another girl and wear
1: a shower cap. That was Yeah, at that age, <laughs> that might said. be. <laughs> I was
2: like, no, that's not how I saw <laughs> it. Now, as I say, I terribly regret that decision and would love to wear a shower cap and kiss a girl.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but you had done a Disney Channel thing. You had. I
2: did a thing called Fun Mark Creek. That was later yeah. when I was 17, yeah.
1: And basically, though, in terms of convincing your parents that this was a worthy pursuit, was there a moment when they felt they could Get on board.
2: They were, I mean, they'd send me off. They didn't come on location with me. They didn't have time. They were, my mom was teaching at nursing school and my dad was a biochemist who subsequently became a psychologist. So he had sort of two things running at the same time. So they would just send me off with a chaperone or a tutor or whoever was supplied by the film Uh people. So it was all self-motivated.
1: Yeah. And then a point came, I think we had spoken once before where you said, when you were actually able to buy your own flat they mm-hmm. kind of breathe easier a little bit yeah. now this is a real thing
2: yeah because i saved all my money yeah you know i didn't have much money but i saved and saved and saved and saved and then suddenly i was able to buy yeah a little place above a shop yeah it was a one bedroom that my boyfriend at the time then sort of fixed the walls up and painted it and everything but it was my place yeah. and i think that was that was when my parents went okay, this is this is, this is is for real. Right, right. Because prior to that, they were like, maybe you should go to law school. Maybe you should do this. You're too sensitive. You're too raw for this industry. The rejection's too tough. Because I'd get rejected a lot. And I'd sob, cry, you know. And I'd be rejected because I'm too tall or I'm too, you know, too many freckles on my face. And that's tough. Mm-hmm. And I think my mom didn't like seeing me gutted like
1: that. Right. Well, when you were... Coming up, there there wasn't much of an Australian film industry, right? Apart from...
2: I mean, uh, there was. There was, you know, things like My Brilliant Career and there was Unbreakable and, and Gallipoli and Gallipoli. Right. But the chances of getting in one of those films was very, very... And maybe um,
1: the biggest known internationally would have been Mad Max, right? So wasn't it kind of fortuitous that the people behind that are also in some ways the people who... Came upon you and and in a number of different projects gave you an opportunity to shine, mm. right? And can you maybe talk about because we've had George Miller on this podcast; he's an interesting mm. guy. And then it was also his late producing partner, right, Byron Kennedy
2: and Terry Hayes.
1: And Terry yeah. Hayes. And so, what were there was a, a series of back, they to, back a to back to had a company
2: called Kennedy Miller. Yeah. And I auditioned and got the role. John Dagen and Chris Noonan were directing a series called Vietnam, which was a ten-hour TV series. And it was an amazing role Mm. and I got this role and I was suddenly part of their group and they were a great group to be, you know, they took me under their wing and they basically kind of chaperoned me through those initial years, gave me Vietnam, Bangkok Hilton, Dead Calm, Flirting, a number of Australian projects and brought me to America and protected me. Flirting. Phil Noyce as well. He was involved. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because he did come. So there was a group of them.
1: And flirting and was George. with somebody who you came up with as well in school and in acting, right? Nay, they yeah.
2: I, we yet. didn't go to school together, oh, no, school. and we didn't go to drama school together either. She sort of came to it later but i remember she was dating my sister's boyfriend oh,
1: that's always interesting <laughs> ex boyfriend right.
2: exactly and that's how i first met naomi so wow. that's kind of good i like that we're that it was not through anything work related right, right. it was uh, that's how i knew of her and we'd go down illegally to the pub <laughs> and she was the blonde girl we'd all be like oh that's naomi Watts cuz she was so pretty <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's so funny how it's all working Yeah, yeah, we'd go to a
2: place called The Oaks Which we were not allowed in, we'd have fake ideas Are you allowed to say all that?
1: Yes, I think Do the, I get arrested the now? The probation period is over Yeah. yeah. So Dead Calm comes out in 1989 <laughs> And by 1990 You're starring in Days of Thunder You're married to Tom Cruise Can you just explain, in such a short period of time What happened? I mean, you're in Australia And then all of a sudden you're an American movie star I it, fell in love in, in such a quick moment. I wasn't an
2: American movie star. I was a, an actress who was married to the biggest star in the world. Okay. I fell in love. You fell in and love. And that's, I always say, love for me overrules everything. Because people were like, oh, I don't know, this is good for your career. You get lost. I'm like, I, I cut them off. Anyone yep. that said that, I was like, forget it. I don't want you around. <laughs> because that's what love does, right? Right. Just like, no, I'm in love.
1: And so you were content. I mean, it's not like you didn't work for a long period of time, but you were just able to, you were able to I was
2: moved off my passion in the sense of my passion got, you know, that's always my whole life. It's been a balancing act. I'm not good at balance. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So I work on that. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, isn't that the
2: word it's a challenge (laughs) for me but yeah I have a you know I have a sort of yes I dabble in and then I go work. I was lucky because to die for then came along at a time when I'd sort of been I hadn't had great roles I hadn't had anything that I'd had in Australia say but I'd had this amazing love affair and then I went I'd actually like to be able to act (laughs) in something that's an amazing script. Yeah. Where are the, I don't have access to any of that. And then suddenly I read Buck Henry's script and I was just floored. It very much plays into this, that satirical humor. It's yeah. very Australian as well. So my understanding of it, I, I really grasped the satire of it. And I, I loved Gus. I'd seen Drugstore Cowboy when I was in Sydney yeah. years prior and it just gone, this guy's fantastic. When seeing Matt Dillon in that and Kelly Lynch and just going, they, This is a fantastic film.
1: So, jumping back though for one second, what brought about coming to America in the first place? Because that was not something. I
2: was living in Australia. I wouldn't have come to America to live. But but I did because I fell in love.
1: And you had met, though, in Australia, Tom? No, no.
2: I met him for Days of Thunder. I came over, auditioned. Okay. And I got the role. And so. I was shocked.
1: (laughs) And what was that, just even just in terms of the, the things that happened in the immediate aftermath of that that you're you're living in a new place you're a much higher profile person you're now yeah. a public person right public figure well uh,
2: that all took time to sort of adjust i
1: didn't quite that's what i'm wondering i mean cuz that's got to be pretty jarring a year ago you're you're you know
2: but i'm spontaneous and adaptable yeah that's probably you know there's different things out that we have as personality traits one of mine is very spontaneous and very adaptable.
1: Always, or starting with that. No,
2: always probably always. been like that. Slightly gypsy, <laughs> um, gypsy blood, <laughs> a bit of a laissez-faire approach mm-hmm. to things where I'm like, yeah, why not? <laughs> I'm going to try this and try that, right. which has been my blessing and and, and in the sense of you know, my husband always says he's the balance right now because I'm like, let's get a dog, let's get ten dogs, let's do this, let's go live here. You know, my nature is always, Just we can do it, let's it. go, let's try it. That's and nice. he's like, oh, whoa, we've got to let's logically see how this plays out. And I'm like, forget right. logic. But that's.
1: That's who you are.
2: Yeah. So there's, a, there's an abandonment to the way I live and I don't, think things out and I don't see the consequences a lot of the time and I'm just like yeah off I go
1: <laughs> so after uh, after Days of Thunder but before To Die For there's this period where you and Tom again did Far and Away then mm. you did Malice, My Life, a, a number of things did becoming a more recognized person impact your ability to do your work because I'm not an actor but I would assume that a big part of being a good actor is being able to see people behaving naturally and then processing that but if they're suddenly not behaving all that naturally around you oh
2: but my lead up in terms of my life I've I've got a very very deep family I mean in terms of the way I was raised there was all enormous amount of study of human behavior I have parents that chose to be caregivers in terms of their their professions I grew up with an enormous amount of political discussion academic discussion analysis in terms of people and why and how and question. I was taught to question.
1: But it doesn't throw you when suddenly you're dealing with, you know, paparazzi. You can't just go down um, the street and I be Nicole it, and watch people. Well, we hate. didn't
2: have the same level of paparazzi yeah. then. Yeah. Fortunately, actually, when I was thrust into it, it was still kind of you could still somehow I was still very much like, yeah, let's get on the motorbike and I'd <laughs> get on the back of the motorbike and we'd go down and we'd go, you know, get food and, and hang out and see a movie and but I just sort of adjusted without overthinking it mm-hmm. I think if it was today this day and age that probably would have thrown me for a six mm-hmm. certainly I was in a
1: bubble yeah.
2: now and I look back but at that age I just kind of went with the flow
1: 95 was an interesting year because it was not only to die for but it was also Batman Forever which must have been the biggest movie you'd done up to that point right in terms of scale
2: yeah, but I was around massive movies. So for me, That's it true. didn't seem that big because yeah. I was around huge movies. Are I was you? watching huge movies get made all the time. I was raising young children. I was, right. you know, in a whole different... Yeah, when I look back, I've had a, I've had a few lives. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. yeah.
1: The reason I mentioned I those... I don't look back that often. <laughs> I'm gonna, this, is, this is a therapy session Yeah. Here. No.
2: <laughs> Help.
1: <laughs> no, so... Uh, the reason I mentioned those two mm. and both coming in 95 is mm. that it's they sort both of
2: come in 95? Yeah. Oh.
1: And it's kind of a microcosm, though, right, of your career. You've done a lot of big movies, but also many smaller ones. And I just wonder, has that been a concerted effort or whatever? Because, you know, Clooney, for instance, always says one for me, one for them or something mm-hmm. like that. Are you thinking in that way? Throughout your career? I
2: have no plan. I have no (laughs) strategy. I don't, as you can see from the career, I just come, I just feel it. I feel my way through. And I'm probably incredibly frustrating to represent (laughs) because there's not some sort of
1: plan. I, I just respond. And what do you find? Is there any pattern as you look back in terms of what you've responded to? I'm now focusing on, because
2: time is becomes As you get older, time becomes the most precious thing. Health and time for me. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm like, huh, I don't want to waste the time. I have little girls Mm -hmm. and I just want to be very careful where I place the time. So say going and doing the play in London, I went and did Photograph 51 in London. That was motivated by wanting to play a biochemist, play a scientist like my dad. Mm -hmm. I wanted to pay homage to my father. I wanted to uh, represent Rosalind Franklin in a way that she needed to be represented, I felt. And I wanted to jump off the cliff. So that is sort of a plan. Yeah. But, if I'd, but if I'd really thought about it and thought about the actual getting on stage after 17 years, I would never have done it. <laughs> yeah, so thank God I don't have that much. I don't think that far ahead. Right. <laughs> Something like Lion, I want to put that out in the world. Mm-hmm. I wanted to play Sue. Why? Because I have adoptive children and the message of this film about unconditional love is very powerful Mm -hmm. to me and very important and that the love is always there. And what it says about adoption, what it says about mothers and the strength of mothers, those things vibrate very deeply in me and I wanted that in the world.
1: One thing I've noticed is that maybe most of the best-received performances have been, and I'm talking from let's say the portrait of a lady 20 years ago through lion have been in movies that are pretty small pretty independent is there any reason why that would be
2: i think whatever is the norm i'm better in the not not the norm <laughs> <laughs> i just um i'm lateral i'm not the mainstream person i'm i i am lateral i've realized that is one thing i've realized i'm left-handed lateral person so I have a whole different perspective yeah. and I have a whole different way in which I probably come to things and and the things that you expect to be great, I'm not that girl. I'm mm-hmm. better in things that are more unexpected.
1: Offbeat or exactly. whatever, yeah.
2: Just the unexpected. Yeah. Like Moulin Rouge I wouldn't call offbeat, but yeah. I would call it unexpected totally. and something I can get my teeth into. And the bolder more the peace, the better for me. And I'm interested in exploring life and people and humanity and the why, even though Philip Roth, when I sat down with him and I'd go, why, Philip, he would say, <laughs> don't ever ask that
1: question. This was the human saying. The, the,
2: the yeah. answer is why not, Yeah. <laughs> which I thought, oh, thank you, Philip. That's Because that kind of changed my life. Yeah. Forget the why.
1: Mm-hmm. Why not? Well, let's, if we can, talk about a few of these other great roles leading up to lion to begin with eyes wide shut last film directed by kubrick Mm -hmm. last film of the three i think that you and tom did Mm -hmm. one in which you both had to be very vulnerable emotionally Mm -hmm. physically all this stuff in front Mm -hmm. of cameras is that enjoyable is it healthy it just seems like every time a couple makes a movie together sometimes the movie turns out well sometimes not but it it just seems to not necessarily end well for the couple I
2: didn't see it that way. Mm. We were very together during that film. And for me, I'm being given the chance to work with the greatest filmmaker, the professor of film, be in his his sort of orbit for two years. I could have done that for five.
1: Did you know you were signing up for two years? No.
2: <laughs> but I was so excited yeah. and I didn't care.
1: Yeah.
2: And I you know, I, I think when you wanna be somewhere else, that's not great for filmmaking. I was where I wanted to be. I was working with my husband. I had my kids there. Primarily we were living in a trailer because we were.
1: Was were in England or where were you guys? In staying? England, yeah.
2: Pinewood. But we were we were with Stanley. And then different actors, great actors, would come through. I think they would be there for two days but end up staying six weeks. So we would be making pasta in the trailer. <laughs> we learnt to become good. Sydney Pollock taught us to cook. And that was the life. Well, as an actor, and I'm sure if you, any actor listening to this would say, sounds pretty sounds good Sounds pretty to me. good, yeah. What's not good is if you have a family somewhere else and you've got to get home. Yeah. That doesn't work. So that was not the case. My family was with me and I was working with the greatest filmmaker in the world. Keep, keep filming as far as <laughs> I'm concerned.
1: Was there any main takeaway you had from that project as far as something he imparted? I think by the time it came out, he had already passed away, right? Or was he, he would soon after pass? I can't remember, but.
2: uh, No, when we saw the first, I, so I, I've lost a lot of people very suddenly.
1: Yeah.
2: It's probably the thing that I don't know why I've just been given that card many Mm -hmm. times Mm -hmm. in this life. So I have probably, I've got a lot of trauma related to that phone calls, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of out of, in the middle of the night.
1: On top of which you had to deal with your mother's illness quite young, right?
2: Yeah, she had breast cancer and my dad died in the same way Stanley did very suddenly. Mm -hmm. I've had a number of people die that way, so it's not good for me. I get very emotional still. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have to go and do something about all of that because it's still, yeah, it's upsetting. And Stanley showed us the film and then I got the call saying... And his assistant called me the next morning. I was going to call him that night, and I didn't. I thought I'll talk to him in the morning and go through everything. And I talked to to him a lot. Mm -hmm. And the phone rang, and it was his assistant, Leon, saying Stanley. And he said, Stanley Kubrick is dead. And I just started screaming.
1: Oh, my gosh. I didn't realize it was that suddenly. Wow.
2: Yeah. It was awful. But he'd shown us the film.
1: And you were all together for that screening. Isn't
2: that crazy? That's unbelievable. Yeah.
1: What's what's it like watching that film?
2: Uh, I don't watch it that often.
1: You've said of the period immediately after that, or pretty soon after that, just recently. Quote: Out of my divorce came work that was applauded. So that was an interesting thing for me. Close quote. And absolutely, in the year, just to remind people, very soon after that was Moulin Rouge, first Oscar nomination. Very soon after that, the hours first first Oscar. I went and
2: did the Blue Room, though I did a play, which Stanley came and saw me in. So it was before the film was finished, yeah. And I did the Blue Room, and that Stephen Daldry came and saw that, Baz Luhrmann came and saw that, and out of the Blue Room, and all those characters I played, I suddenly was given these chances to play Virginia Woolf and Satine and things that I'd never even dreamed of, and the others, Alejandro Amenabar, so. It's amazing how one play that was at the Donmar that everyone's like, why are you going to do a play in the middle? Right. You know, out in London. What, what what are you thinking? But I just wanted to be on stage. I was like, I came from the stage in Australia. I'd done, so I I was trained to do that. And I'm like, why am I not doing theatre? That's Damn where man. I met Patrick Marber, Sam Mendes, David Hare. All of them came in to my life through all that. through that. Yeah. So the London Theatre has just been that's that's a joy for me. Yeah. I love and that's why I went back and did photograph fifty one there.
1: I wish you would bring it to New York so I can go and see I don't have to go to <laughs> London that much. I but, would love to bring yeah. it to
2: New York. I'm trying to I was talking to Michael Grandage because I love playing her and yeah. I love what the I love that it's a play that's written by a woman and but it's about Rosalind, you know. But I I have a five and a an eight year old who it's theatre's tough when yeah. you have Little girls that age. Eight
1: times. A I haven't week, quite
2: right? Yeah, that, that I've juggled a lot yeah. doing it in London and I'm just I've gotta find the you know, I'm s i am I juggle. I juggle Amazing. a family. Yeah.
1: So let's talk about Moulin Rouge. This was with Baz, fellow mm. fellow Aussie. So he
2: saw Blue Room. Yeah. Sent me flowers backstage and said, I wanna meet you about a thing I'm doing. And that's how and then I had to go and audition and audition and audition.
1: Did singing give you any trepidation? Oh,
2: just <laughs> dreadful. I was like, what? I was trying to do singing lessons during the day while I was still doing the play. And, really? Yeah, so. to try and go in because I was like, huh, oh, this is not my forte, but I'll, I'll fake it till I make it. Oh, it turned thing. out
1: great. I mean, people still talk about especially Come Wet May, the song. and I, I just, had to
2: sing the nobody does it better. Uh, that was my audition. That's piece. great. Yeah. Carol is a friend of mine who wrote that song. That's
1: so. great, but that was a that seemed like you were having fun when you. I don't know, maybe when oh. you were watching it.
2: Oh, yeah. just some of the best memories. I mean, it was tough, right? That was so tough, but come on, look at sateen. Look right. at when do you get that?
1: <laughs> What's kind of amazing in an almost schizophrenic way is that same year you then go and do the others. Or the yeah. others came out, which just to remind. No, I
2: did the others straight after. Straight after, right. And then I was going to do panic room. But by that stage, I was so, my life had just fallen apart. I had a terrible knee injury. I was just a mess. And it all just, I remember my dad coming and saying, we're done. Mm-hmm. Get in the car, go home. Wow. <laughs> it's over. Yeah. And I was just. Just, it was just terrible I mean my life I was so injured my knee was so bad I just couldn't From, I couldn't and I so wanted to do it I loved David Fincher and mm-hmm. I I was mortified humiliated just I fell apart everything but, fell apart yeah yeah the knee injury happened on Moulin Rouge it got better and then it happened again. then I re-injured it on the others and then I was like trying to do it and it was just at some point your body just goes yeah, I'm done yeah we're done, and I was so grateful to have a dad that kind of could put some sense into me because I think as an actor, it's just like no, you just keep going and going. I mean, I probably would have died
1: doing it. Well were you? Were you trying to prove something?
2: No, it's like being trained as a dance. Like, dancers have the same mentality. You just don't. You have to do the work. Mm-hmm. It's like a. It's a theater mentality. It's a. It's a dancer mentality. And other people, ballet dancers relate to it. There is no option no, you don't just stop, that you can't pull out because physically the body can't let you down like that. It's very strange. But that's the work ethic that we have. I mean, it's kind of built into our DNA from what I come from. No, I can tell. You know.
1: The hours, though, a year after Moulin Rouge and the others. uh, Well, then
2: Stephen Daudry calls me and goes, I've got this thing. And I'd seen Billy Elliot and I'd sent him a little note. And I didn't know him but I feel very attached to a lot of English directors and English people just because of being Australian uh-huh. I suppose and they seemed to get me. And he said, I've got a role for you. And I read the script and I thought it was the role that Julianne was playing. So I was like, oh, right. And he goes, no, 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 you're going to play Virginia Wolf." And I was like, what? <laughs> uh, I don't think I'm right for it. What? And he said, trust me, you're going to be great. It's Virginia Wolf. That's what you're meant to play. And because he'd seen me, I've had a character in Blue Room that was the actress. That was the name of her. Mm -hmm. And he says, I saw you do that. You can play Virginia Woolf. So I trusted him. I'm so glad I trusted him. Yeah, that one was a
1: (laughs) pretty big one. Yeah, And
2: and Scott Rudin and Harvey and all of them, they were like, you can do this. You can do
1: it. What was the most challenging aspect of this? You're obviously underneath all of these prosthetics and wig and no, everything. No, there
2: wasn't all of them. It was just the nose. The nose. <laughs> right. And then I had a wig. And, right. But that was about it. And Anne Roth gave me an amazing dress with her pockets and great shoes that I sort of felt. And suddenly Virginia was mine. She was just mine. And she, I was in her consciousness and I was a part of her. And there's a speech in that, which I really believe is an important speech about and it makes me cry because it's so important for human beings. They have choice. And she said, it's my choice. And that resonates with me. What I choose to do with my life is my choice. And Leonard, you can go and you can think you know what's right for me, or this is everyone else can can band together and think they know what's right. No, it's my life, and I'm gonna make my choices. And I believe in that. And I thank David Hare for that speech. One of the greatest speeches.
1: That's it it's great. Did it mean a lot to you to become the first Australian actress to win an Academy Award for that winning best actress that was at that time in your life in particular was there what was the meaning of that? Hugely important
2: to me awesome. now when I look back. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah How did it, it change was. things? What was
2: Because it? I was to be the first Australian actress to win that. That's a huge thing for me as an Australian girl who came from not a, you know, there was not that wasn't in my future, so that was an an enormous thing to to have, and that's you know, there's a pursuit of excellence probably that got sort of put into me. I went to a a school called North Sydney Girls High, and that was very important. Uh, academics was important, achievement was important, but excellence was yeah. what it was about. And applying and learning, not coasting along, digging deep and doing the work. And I think I'd always read people like Meryl Streep and, and the great actresses, there. and Meryl gave an amazing speech to, I think it was her graduating to Yale at mm-hmm. some point when she went back and part of it I, was, I read, which was about the pursuit of excellence and that seems to always stay with me. Yeah. And there's times when you don't do enough work or something, you're not perfect, but ultimately that's what it's about. And when I say excellence, it's not like, oh, my gosh, to be doing sort of it's not like, oh, this has to be what everyone deems excellent. But you have to feel I have to feel that I've given everything I can in terms of not skimming, not being superficial. I've been given a very fortunate path and I don't ever want to take it for granted.
1: Sure, I remember you talking at the time of Cold Mountain about that being a very important one to you and was it Anthony Magella or was, what was the aspect mm. of that that made that so special
2: it was yeah working with Anthony and Sidney Pollack produced that and felt very close to Sydney and, and very close to Anthony and that was an important part of just where I was at you know he was a poet and his ability to write dialogue I mean when you see English Patient which I've watched so many times really? it's just gorgeous And I just wanted to be able to say his words. He writes so beautifully. Mm -hmm. And now living in the South, I'm so, so proud that I played Ada. Yeah. You know, I'm very much of the South now. I'm very Australian, but I'm very, I would like to sound very Southern. My daughters were born in Nashville and I consider myself part of the South.
1: That's great. (laughs) Now that you're talking about words and the, the words of cold mountain. And yet that same year, an amazing one that maybe my favorite, if I can say of, of yours was so different from that or any other movie. Anybody's made. I think dogville is one oh, of a wow. kind. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right. And Lars von yeah. just to remind people movie without sets, basically uh, <laughs> like chalked in. I mean, it, it's like, it's almost like watching the ultimate <laughs> acting exercise and I wonder... I wa-
2: yeah, I was I, I was nominated on that. Like, I remember them holding up a sign when I was shooting saying, you just got nominated for your first Academy Award for Moulin Rouge. For Moulin Rouge,
1: while you're doing Doggy. But
2: I remember people going, you're going where to do what? <laughs> right. Well,
1: that's what I was wondering. How was it pitched to you? I mean, you're like, hey, Nicole, come do a movie with... Trollharten,
2: where I went, which is where we shot it. Yeah. Oh, I was just like, Lars on I'd seen Breaking the Waves. I crawled out yeah. after I saw that movie. I crawled out of the cinema. I was meant to go for dinner. I said, I cannot go. I have to go home and go to bed. I mean, I'm a woman that was raised with a strong Catholic, mm-hmm. in a strong Catholic family. Mm-hmm. So the the coming together of faith and identity and commitment and love and loss and sacrifice all of those elements that play into that film I was just like that that took me someplace that I could not recover from
1: and the mime stuff must have come in useful there so well no then I just
2: said "Lars Von Trier I put it out there in the press right. Lars Von Trier please call me up bring me in let me do right. and then he did And then I said no. (laughs) Because you heard what it was. Because I was no, because I was scared actually. I was scared of going. I was I was doing the hours and I was in a really, really precarious place as a person. I was just like, I feel so raw and open. And I'm not sure that being around Laura's feeling like this would be great (laughs) for me right right now. It was the best thing. Really? Cause, yeah, he said, no, come here. It will be all right. And I got on a plane and went there, and there's a lot of dark. You know, it's dark most of the time, oh, yeah. which I love. Yeah. It, there was snow everywhere. Yeah. We were living in a little kind of this little hotel in the middle of a snow laid Every snow was everywhere. We would work a little bit, and then I would go hiking into the mountains in the dark with a with a flashlight and all rugged up have dinner with everyone. We all live together, Patty and all of us, mm-hmm. and Lauren Bacall. And it was what I feel acting is. We mm-hmm. were a troupe. We were an actor's troupe with a director that was all kind of weird and surreal and extraordinary. So That's good. what I'm in it for.
1: I urge people to go see that one. It didn't get enough of an audience. It's so good. But-, <laughs> but
2: it had its, I feel like it has its own life in the same way that another film that didn't get enough of an audience birth has its own life.
1: Well, yes. They and find
2: their lives, you know. If they're artistic and good, they find their way.
1: Movies like that are harder and harder to make these days, right, because that does not have an easy log line. What is birth? It's You can't say in one <laughs> sentence what it is, and yet it features some of the best work that I think you, you've probably done, and it's, again, maybe in some ways prepared you for lying when you're dealing with a, a working opposite a very young kid and having to have the, that dynamic, wouldn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, that was very different because of the relationship between me and the child. I mean, that, that film is Jonathan's. I mean, I think it's just exquisite, that movie, and Harris Saviti shot it, so it's oh, like, yeah. oh, I was desperate to do it. And everyone was a bit sort of thrown by that too because the script was not sort of embraced. Mm. It was like, what? Yeah. But I didn't see it like that. I saw it as I love Jonathan's work and it was a film not about a bathtub scene with a little boy right, right, right. it was a film about grief it was a film about belief and and loss and grief and 10 years down she's still grieving there is no time limit to grief and what that does in terms of what you allow in when you're grieving what you will believe when you're grieving they have, that's fascinating to me and that's what the film was about yeah. for me i mean it's different for everybody right
1: sure well, when you take on a movie like that, or fur, or Margot at the wedding, fur. That's I mean, right. are these? <laughs> you, you've got to know these are going to I'm be. I'm a mad woman. No, these oh God, are great. I you... No, but they're. But you, when you're taking them on, do you, you've got to know these are maybe to some degree going to be tough sells. Yeah. How much does it matter to you how many people see a movie?
2: I would hope that the movie makes its money back, which is why you work for nothing mm-hmm. on most of them. There's no budget. Right. It doesn't matter to me.
1: It just is.
2: You just do it. Yeah. It's that that interesting I don't care about a trailer I don't care about I mean I grew up sitting on an apple box on a film set when I was a kid now I say that they'll never give me another trailer ever again <laughs> but I mean you know I've sat in a car yeah. this that's been the place where you are you're lucky to have sit in the back of a car and I mean really whatever it takes to get something made if you believe in it that's what it should be right and it's not a business for me. I want the films to make money if they cost a lot of money. I don't want people to lose, but I've got to keep my artistic spirit and I've got to approach it from not a strategic business place because that's so, that just, that makes me feel not good. Yeah. So I ask other people to take care of that side of it. If we only have two million to make it, because that's what it's going to cost so people don't lose money, mm-hmm. okay. But let us make it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> with Rabbit Hole, was that the first time you'd produced a movie that you were also in?
2: Yes, for about that much money. <laughs> yeah, right. I was, say, was, I was like, budget? don't worry about trailers. We'll sit in the schoolroom. We'll sit. Down. I love Aaron Eckhart and Miles and all of them. Well, you for found Miles. So Miles was just on this We podcast. had it. We all shared like a bedroom. I remember yeah. Aaron going, "I'm just not sharing a bathroom with her, please." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, right. "Get him his own bathroom right. in the house." Right. Right. <laughs> You know, that's what I come from. That's the filmmaking I come from, and that's the truth of it. And that's what we're in it for, and we get to make the things we believe in.
1: Well, let's let's talk about that one, though, in particular, because you not only starred in it, you also pursued the material. You mm-hmm. were instrumental in the casting. Again, Miles Teller says he would not be here if it were not for – for you and and generally... Well, he would have found his way. But I'm would've. very,
2: very happy to have John Cameron Mitchell and I. John sent me the tape of him. I saw him, his audition, I saw him blush. I said, that's our boy. <laughs> right. And his mama hugs me now and she sees, she sees you. You. <laughs> you you realize how special my boy is.
1: Well, the funniest thing, though, is that I had heard about <laughs> the blushing thing. And when he came on and did this, I said, so I heard that's what Nicole liked about. He said, I'm just Irish. When I get nervous, I turn red. So that was that was it for that. But hey, that's, yeah, it worked. He was feeling something. Right.
2: You know, that's important. He was not shut off. He's, right. He's very, very sensitive.
1: How tough was it, though, for you to then go and, and act in that movie when it's about a, a very traumatic thing that happens to a mother with her young child? You just had a child. Does that affect? Oh, I don't know what I was thinking.
2: <laughs> I mean, I wasn't thinking. I was just right. viscerally responding. But women, people have been through it. And I, and I was so connected to my child. And it's beautiful, that movie, mm-hmm. once again, about grief. Yeah. But beautiful. Because it's about choosing life and trying to live and the pain of that. And that's what Manchester by the Sea is about, that's too. true. So I really respond deeply to those You stories. love that movie,
1: too, yeah? Yeah.
2: I cried. It's a, that's powerful. A, uh-uh. Casey's gorgeous in yeah. that. Yeah. You see just the way life has just kicked him, kicked him down. And he's still walking around, trying to exist.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> so over the last few years, it seems like there's been an increasing migration of, you know, people who made their name in movies mm-hmm. going to do work in television. Mm-hmm. You took this step a little bit with Hemingway and Gelhorn. this TV But movie. I did.
2: I started out in TV in Australia in
1: miniseries. But I'm saying, like, the when the, the way that the public really right. got to know you was through movies... What do you make of this? Well, not and, in Australia. Though, not yeah. in Australia. Right? We should stipulate that. But what <laughs> do you... Gone. So, Hemingway <laughs> and Gellhorn, really well-received well Emmy, Golden Globe nomination for you, all of this stuff, but do you... And the
2: darling Phil
1: Kaufman. And Phil Kaufman. But do you ever feel that the way, the economics of the movie industry today, even relative to when you started out, which is not all that long ago, mm-hmm. when when you see that how hard it is to tell an original creative story mm-hmm. in movies... Does that do you feel pushed towards television? Is that where those are now? I've just done two
2: films shot on film, so four for theatrical, sort of, yeah. yeah. So I did The Beguiled with Sofia Coppola yes. and Yorgos's film, The Killing of a mm-hmm. Sacred Deer. So I'm just a mishmash of things. I just go where the great storytelling is, yeah. I don't care what the medium is. Mm-hmm. I was grateful to work on film again, it was beautiful, yeah. I had the focus puller come over and say, will you sign this film because it may be the last time. <laughs> the, the little He pulled out a piece of film because so, it may be the last time I ever get to work on film. Hooray. But no, I felt like going and doing Big Little Lies was such an important thing because I was, you know, Reese and I Bruno and Bruno Papandreou, and Pesari we produced it with Jean-Marc Ballet mm-hmm. and Nate. And the, it was an amazing opportunity. It was seven hours of... What I mean, cinematic storytelling. We mm. got to pretty much explore a character for seven hours. Storylines that are give five women great roles, and it was wonderful. And jean Mac is is the perfect person for that because he it's masterful what he's done with it. Yeah, because you have to work fast but still delve deep, and then editing it and putting. I mean, it's it's a it's a feat doing the seven hours yourself but that's the only way we wanted to do it we wanted one director because I do think that you know and maybe when you divide it up if if, unless they're very very close it's very difficult when it's one director doing all of it if they have the stamina it's their vision you're not sort of so then you have or you have someone like Jane Campion with Top of the Lake choosing somebody to co-direct with who she feels is is extraordinary, and she's going to launch them.
1: Well, that's the perfect transition, because I was going to ask, you mentioned that you were drawn to the script of Lion because of the adoption connection, but... And Garth. And And Luke Davies. So you knew, did you know of Garth, though? Yeah. You did. Because really, this is his first feature film. He had, as you say, co-directed with Top of the Lake, but Mm -hmm. are there many first-time directors that you've trusted enough to do a movie with? That's a pretty big compliment. It was quite
2: a lot. I mean I did another first time director, Kim Farrant, in Australia as well. Oh yeah. I like no, I don't I think if someone's got the vision and they want to do it, I'm and I like being in a position to do yeah. to do that. That's important to me. Everyone needs a shot. <laughs> That's they true. need someone to believe in them. Right. Take a risk. Why not?
1: So where did you end up relocating to do this movie?
2: Australia. Tasmania, Melbourne, yeah, yeah. Tasmania is gorgeous. I mean, you see in the film, it's gorgeous. But yeah, and it was wonderful to be able to. I mean, it's an Australian film, so to be part of the Australian film industry again, on a global in a global way, because this film is an international film, but it's made primarily. It's an Australian film, so that was really really special
1: for me can we jump back for one second just away from line for one other question about mm-hmm. australia which is you also did the big movie that was called australia mm-hmm. that in a lot of ways, i mean i just wonder what you what you made of that that is you can't have a movie more associated with your with your country mm-hmm. than that and huge epic unusual i mean what would, maybe the closest thing to that would have been cold mountain right maybe scale size Ambition. Yeah, I suppose. is I there a certain pressure though when you're doing a movie called australia you're the Australian it wasn't
2: guy. called australia when we when really we, that <laughs> that name came to it later okay
1: and um, back with baz
2: i was just i was just thrilled i was thrilled yeah. to be back there you know we fought to get hugh jackman cast in it at the time isn't that interesting that's crazy yeah, so we had to convince the studio to cast him and now look
1: that was pre-war um, famous I guess. Last yeah. was yeah. yeah
2: and it was just an amazing, I mean, for me, that was my country. I got to go up to Cananara I got to travel. I lived in Bowen <laughs> in Queensland. But, you know, the film, the Australian film industry made me, yeah. gave me my career. So I always want to go back there. Sometimes things are big, sometimes things are small, yeah. sometimes things make a lot of money, sometimes they don't. But that it's an experiment every time mm-hmm. and being given the chance to experiment been given the chance. Yeah, it's all we need in life. Always, right? People yeah. need a chance, no matter where, no matter how. And you know, I and also I'm very. I get very attached. I'm very attached to Baz.
1: Yeah,
2: I'm very attached to him. Mm-hmm. I'm very attached to Stephen Daldry. I'm very attached to different directors in my life. Jane. Yeah, I've become very attached to Stanley. I was deeply attached. So. I don't detach. I
1: attach. (laughs) Is there something about the director actress relationship that explains that? Is it almost like a a parent figure?
2: I don't know. I haven't. I don't even. I don't decipher it. I just do it. I mean,
1: I was attached to Lars. Yeah.
2: You know, I'm. Who it's who I am. I'm very attached to Michael Grandage. Now I just feel a part of them. I feel protected. I feel like, yeah, part of their family. They may disagree.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Think
2: so. I'm also protective. Yeah. I feel, you know, so I'm like sort of this, but I had that relationship. So it probably is a parent thing because I had that relationship with both my parents. Yeah. Deeply, deeply attached child. Mm-hmm.
1: So back with Garth Davis here on the set of Lion in Australia. How do you prepare for this one? You're playing a real person. You're also going to be playing the mother of this little boy who doesn't even speak English which Mm. was gonna it just got to be a different sort of challenge Mm. than you've had before
2: yeah I mean as I said in the Q&A with you last night Garth fights for the rehearsal process and he doesn't give it up and that's where the work gets done particularly when you're playing the mother of a small child that doesn't speak English if you don't show up weeks prior to do the work with that child you will not have the relationship on screen that you need and that is not something you can fast-forward. That can't be done in a day. And I'm not a big believer in discussing massive process, but those those things are insanely important because then you can pick them up, hold them, kiss them, touch them. They can wipe your tears away. You can bathe them. You can do all those things. That just doesn't happen. No. That's earned. That's trust. So that was the prep with him, the little one. Yeah. And with Dev, it was more becoming maternal deeply maternal to him and existing in that maternal force for the whole film but also trying to build the and there's the scene some of the scenes that we shot are not in the film but the fractious family that exists when yeah. their old boys are older all of that had to be rehearsed and worked on and found and we did improvs and all of those things even Mantosh when he arrives that was two days of 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 improvisation and we shot huge amount of footage of improvisation that was harrowing what that little boy did with the in terms of hitting Mm -hmm. his head and beating himself. And I mean, that stuff just David Wenham and I were just, you know, beside ourselves emotionally. So whatever ends up on screen, that's what's meant to be there. But all of the stuff that doesn't also feeds into what ends up on there. And that's why I say as an actor, you have to do no matter how big your role, you have to do the work. Yeah. And if you don't, it will be apparent.
1: What percentage of movies that you've done have had rehearsal time? It's not always I mean, there, and right?
2: So some directors will go, I don't want the rehearsal time, but you do whatever you need, just come and be great. <laughs> so that means I have to go and do it all myself, you know, and that would mean say that was the case, mm-hmm. then I would go and spend, like on Big Little Lies, we didn't have rehearsal, yeah. we had it. Date. we did a read-through and that was it so I had to find my twins the mm-hmm. boys that were playing my twins have them over to my house mm-hmm. swim with them play with them I had Alexander over we played on the monkey bars we went swimming in the pool we hung out lying on the grass we had my my own children yeah. were there and that's how I made the relationship
1: you just have to come but up you with can't
2: it. fake that no you know that's not how it works and then obviously for lion with Sue I just had to I had her interviewed by a friend of mine who interviewed her for hours I sent him down to Tasmania because I didn't want her to feel put on the spot I then watched everything and then destroyed it all and I mean we mined her life for every I know everything about that woman
1: (laughs) and yet you didn't meet her until when
2: then (laughs) I said can I meet you she was like absolutely and then she came up to Sydney and we were just together alone and we just from that point on I told her so much about myself and she told me and that was the beginning of me playing her and then we did the makeup tests and everything to kind of find the way I would look because I didn't want to, I wanted to be her and not look like me.
1: Yeah. There's
2: so anyway, that's all. No, that's, all, <laughs> it's, yeah, that's all. It's a lot. It is a not, lot. We're not, you know, in terms of people don't, I don't think that that gets talked about a lot, you know, because it's good for people to hear, it for particularly for other actors yeah, yeah, because yeah. we know as actors how we're trained, what we're meant to do and we've got to do it.
1: And they should also appreciate that it's not like you get to a certain point and you don't have to do this work anymore. It's like you are Unless you're
2: just, well, I have to do it. Maybe I'm just not talented enough, but (laughs) I have to do it. I mean, some people probably can just come in and and wing it. I'm not (laughs) that person. I have to because it's almost like I have to... I just have to feel like I've done it all so that I can be free, if that makes sense. And then I'm willing to discard, change, throw anything out, but I've got to know what I'm coming from
1: you had mentioned earlier a uh, movie where in which you gave a speech that you you know it still means a lot to you to even just think about it you have a pretty nice monologue or i, would, I don't know what if that's mm-hmm. the proper term here in this film where you're talking about to dev about mm-hmm. how he came to be a part of your family and i just mm-hmm. wonder that that seems like that one meant a lot to you from what i've yeah. heard you speak about in the in yeah. other.
2: it's it was the i mean i read it and i just was completely riveted and also deeply related to it. I couldn't believe that they were going to leave it in the film. I was like, wow, oh, I love you, Garth, for not cutting it to shreds. How could they cut that? It's one of the best scenes in the movie. Well, I don't know, stuff gets cut all the time. (laughs) But you never know And and he just let me do it and I was just, oh. And when Dev says, you know, I'm so sorry for this because you know, and you couldn't have children of your own. And she's like, no, what are you talking about? I can have children. I wanted you. That to me is, that's, that's the essence of the film. It's, I want you. I want
1: you, which is what we all want to hear. And I have seen this movie several times. And every time that's when the sniffles really Mm. start around you. It's very powerful stuff. And I guess just finally, we're here at the very end of 2016. We've been talking about all the great stuff that has led up to this for you. But I just wonder, looking ahead, are there specific film, theater, I'd heard maybe even a book project that you're working on? And is there anything specifically that you haven't done yet that you'd really like to do so that if we come back a few years from now, it's 2016, we can, we can do an update and check <laughs> in with you?
2: So many things. I look at Sehupet's career and it's very inspiring to me because she she's just on her path. I love that she stays bolder than she was when she was younger, that she works the way she does, that she lives and breathes it, that she's still such a, a unique, extraordinary actress. I would love to, to be breathing the same air as her. She's a great great mm. model, yeah. She really is. She's an inspiration in yeah. terms of the path that she's forged. You know, she's truly special.
1: Yeah. Well, you're the best. Thank you so much Thank for doing that's a it. <laughs> <treat.
2: laughs>
0: it is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper?